for your word, and we pray that we would hear uh, about Christ, from Christ, from you, and that our lives would be conformed to Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Yeah, so I'm fighting something. I'm on cough syrup and Afrin. If I say anything off the wall, blame it on the medicine. One writer has said um, about the New Testament, our passage, our book, that anxiety was rampant in the ancient world, partly because people were looking to all these gods and goddesses that they could anger at any moment. They were unpredictable, those gods and goddesses, and therefore the people felt like life was just capricious. It was unreliable. And as I read that this week, I thought the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? Like ancient people, many folks today feel that life is is so topsy-turvy, And that the things they're looking to, as many are looking less to the God of the Bible, the things they're looking to are causing them to feel uneasy and insecure. The world itself feels capricious and so random. Last month, uh, or actually two months ago in September, the Wall Street Journal had a lead article with the question as a title, Why is Anxiety on the Rise? We could also link its cousin, depression. Why are depression, uh, worry, sadness on the rise? Alternatively, the question is, how can we find peace? Now, we find peace in this passage, and it's a very rich term. It's not simply the calming of anxieties, although I think it's especially that in these verses. But it's also, um, and it's not just the cessation of conflict, but it's the presence of something, the presence of soundness, of wholeness, of completeness. It is healing. There is restoration uh, in God's peace. You perhaps heard the word irenic, and that's the Greek word here that we find in verses 6 to 7. It is the irenic uh, gift of God that joins and ties together into a whole. That's what peace means. It is tied to the Old Testament word, which you probably know, shalom. If you go around the building, you'll find in Hebrew uh, the word shalom. And today we're going to go to that definition of peace as an internal sense that all must be well, all will be well as we have sung today. We're going to focus primarily on verses 6 to 7. There are many great themes in this um, passage that was read today. In the future, I'm going to isolate 9 to 10, and we'll look at those verses. But today, we're really going to hone in on 6 and 7. And we're going to consider the threats to our peace, our prayer, and God's promises. So, the threats to our peace. Uh, Despite our technological challenges, and we might say sometimes because of them, uh, folks are worrying We all get stressed out from time to time. All of us do to varying degrees. One writer who was uh, quite a gifted writer, um, he said that externally he presented a calm sense, uh, but he did not manage his anxiety well. And he wrote, you could peer beneath the surface. If you did, you would see that I am like a duck paddling, paddling, paddling. 
under the water. And I think there are times where we all feel that way. So back to the Wall Street Journal, why is anxiety on the rise? Well, certainly, it's the geo geopolitical um, conflicts and uncertainty that we are seeing in the world right now. Rumors of war are giving way to actual conflict. This week, somebody tweeted a historical reference. They said, don't forget to turn your clocks back to 1938 Germany time this weekend. That's what it feels like in the world to some people. And so we feel worried and concerned about what is happening in the world that God has made. But to bring it closer to home, we can feel so preoccupied with, you know, doctor's appointments, what is going on, partly because of what's happening in the world, what's going on with our own uh, economy and finances. We're concerned sometimes about our kids and our grandkids, of course. And sometimes it's just life. One comedian said, reality is the leading cause of stress for those who are in touch with it. <laughs> and I think that can be true. <laughs> it's just reality stresses us. But more to the point, in our letter and in the chapter that was read this morning, we find that there's an issue of a lack of peace in relationships sometimes. And then that can stress us inwardly. In the Philippian context, there were two women, Yodia and Syndike, who, were, uh, who had drifted from each other. These were two women who were sisters in Christ. They had had influential roles in the gospel mission of Paul. Uh, they were partners with him in, in gospel ministry, yet something had gone awry. The connection between them had frayed. And so what was their difference? Perhaps they didn't agree on a strategy for ministry. Or perhaps they disagreed on how people would pronounce those names, their names, for 2,000 years till the end of time. Because <laughs> when you hear it read, our reader did a good job with those names, but... Who knows what they were disagreeing about, but Paul says to someone to Clement, bring these two sisters together, and he frames the whole section here with his love and affection. He says, because of um, the love and affection of God, and I love you, go help these two women to come back together. To do what? To agree in the Lord. To find their common ground again in the gospel. And so sometimes peace is a, or lack of peace is a relational issue. Also, for the Philippians, they were facing persecution. And Paul wrote this, of course, from uh, prison. So there's that kind of stress. And we don't face that, at least yet, here. But we deal with this kind of pushback to our faith in, in other ways that are subtle, but still hard. I know a Christian who is praying for a family member with medical challenges, and this person, this Christian, sent a very thoughtful text and just said, uh, praying for you, and, and there was one line there, the power of prayer. And then that Christian sent back to me, or sent to me, um, the other person who's a non-believer, who used to be a believer, uh, that person wrote this, well, yes, thanks for the caring that goes into prayer, because that's what I think it's all about, what it does for the person praying. Because I can't help wondering about the people who don't have religious folk praying for them. Are they just out of luck? Is your God that manipulable? I read that and it hurt. 
And the person who had received that said, it felt like a dagger to me. And so the unbelief of the culture and increasingly at times the cynical responses of people we know to the gospel, that can feel like a dagger, it can hurt. And so Paul is dealing with the lack of peace that can come from following Jesus in a world that doesn't want to. And so in our minds, in our hearts, we start to spiral. We think about the past and we think, oh, if only. If only I had said this or done it in a different way. We think about the future and then say, what if? What if this scenario plays out? There's a Christian man named Adam Ford who was one of the founders of the Babylon Bee and, and the, the Christian satirical site. And some years ago, he, he sold it um, uh, to others. And he has since reflected on his own struggle with anxiety, uh, something that kind of came to him later in life. And he's a strong believer. And he said, having an anxiety disorder is not the same as being a worry wart, although our passage really speaks to both concerns. I want to say that. Uh, Ford goes on to say, I went to the doctor thinking I was having a stroke or some major brain issue. In reality, I was having my first panic attack. He talked about adrenaline pumping, and in those moments, it feels like you're running from a T-Rex. And so, again, some of you have uh, faced that kind of um, feeling uh, at various times in your life with various intensity levels. And so Paul is taking all of that into mind, the minor and the major ways that we worry. And what he then gives us is our response, what that ought to be. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. You see, with prayer, with our strong requests, we grant and express to God our needs, and we do it all the while with thanksgiving. This means that we're to be thankful in all things, not for all things. You see, gratitude expresses our dependence on God, and it also aims to, to offer to God a glad reception of his grace in our lives. One writer said, to pray in any other spirit than gratitude clips the wings of prayer. And, and I think that's true for us, right? And so Paul, coming back even earlier to verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And this ties not only to our public witness and how we talk to others and letting our reasonableness be known and our gentleness be known to others, but it has to do with our prayer life. And friends, just as anxiety and depression can be complicated cousins, so joy and peace are intertwined and cannot be unhitched from each other. Now, it does not necessarily tell us, this passage, to feel happy inside, but it, what, it, what it is saying that as we focus on God's goodness and His grace, that will help us to claim joy. The Greek word for rejoice is kairate, and the root of that word is charis, or kara, and that word is grace. 
You see, grace is the root of the fruit of joy. And grace is all that God has done for us in Christ. And so, so joy is the undercurrent of gladness that flows from the wellspring of grace. And we bring joy, we ask for joy when we are in the Lord's presence. The theologian Karl Barth said, joy is the simplest form of gratitude. What a great thing to remember in this month of November. And so again, this is telling us to rejoice. It's a verb, celebrate the Lord, sing of his greatness. And when we do that, we defy the sense of defeat that we may be facing. I have to do this sometimes. You are called to do this. When I, you know, I've been talking about the medical things I'm facing, Liz and I are dealing with in this next year, and, and this year too, and there are times I have to say to my own heart, remember, rejoice. Don't give in to defeat. Jesus is victorious. And so, verse 5 is telling us that we rejoice because the Lord is near. And this doesn't mean simply that he's coming as, as judge to finally deal with all unresolved evil and pain, but he's coming as our redeemer to finish his work of shalom, to make us and everything right. And so that can help us in our prayer. And then we come to God's promise. Paul says that as we pray with gratitude, the peace of God will guard our hearts. You see, grace and peace have been dominant in this letter. Paul began it in verse 2 of chapter 1 saying, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God has graciously made peace with you through the death and resurrection of his Son. That is his peace treaty for us. The biggest problem in our lives has been solved, friends. It's not cancer. It's not geopolitical conflict. It's not the economy. Our biggest problem is sin and the breach it caused with God, but God has caused peace in the death and life of his son. And this means that now life and goodness and joy are ours because God loves us so much because Jesus is so faithful. And here we can respond to that earlier critique of prayer that I mentioned that that person shared the person said, can you manipulate God? Is that the point? And that's not the case at all. God can and does work apart from our praying, but he's purposed to use our prayers in his plans. And friends, I think we wonder sometimes, why do we pray when God knows everything? Of course he knows the facts about you, but he wants you. He wants your heart, your trust, your gratitude, your interaction. And when we go to God, back to that text, we're not trying to manipulate him, but rather it's like a child who, who goes to her parent and asks for help. And if you've been a parent or a grandparent, uh, uh, if you've been a parent, uh, yeah, you're going to know what that's like. Um, it honors you. It brings you joy when a child or grandchild asks for help. And so in a much larger way, it pleases our God. It honors him when we go to him as our heavenly father. This is simply the beautiful order of things. He is our supply. 
that meets our need. Our supply that meets our need. Now, we can drill down a little further than this. The phrase, the peace of God, is very interesting. You know what it may mean? It may mean the peace that God himself possesses. In other words, when God looks at the mess in his world that has rebelled against him, that is broken, that he loves, but that is hurting, God himself is not beset with anxiety. He does not have a trembling hand and heart, as it were. God is at peace. And therefore, when we look to him, we can be guarded by his peace. Paul talks about the peace of God transcending our understanding. This doesn't mean it's irrational peace. It means it's super rational. It goes beyond what we can figure out. And that's partly why we get stressed, because we can't figure out and solve certain things. But we know the God who can and ultimately will, the God who has dealt with, solved our biggest problem in sending his son. And as we pour out our lives in petition to God, his peace surrounds us and upholds us. And so now we dig into the metaphor that Paul is using. When Paul says peace, the peace of God guards your hearts and minds, he is picturing a military garrison Soldiers guarding the walls of a city. What a beautiful picture that is of the peace of God guarding our lives. In 2009, this church uh, sent Liz and me and our kids uh, to Uganda, where, where we support mission work there in Kampala. And, uh, and, Tebi, <laughs> and uh, it's been a while. And... Uh, we stayed with the Eby family, so they're uh, expatriates. They used to be ministering in San Diego, uh, and they've been in Africa for well over 25 years. And we stayed with them in their house, but it's, it's really a compound. It's a beautiful house with, with a large uh, garden area, monkeys in the trees, <laughs> uh, and they have walls and gates everywhere. And we discovered as we went to bed that at night, on the premises, walking around the walls, they had a local person that guarded their facility. And you know what he carried? A bow and arrow. <laughs> and our kids, Garrett and Miles in particular, in junior high school, thought that was so cool. Like at night, we're being protected by a guy with a bow and arrow. And <laughs> yesterday, I went through my pictures to, to find, try to find the year that we were in Uganda, and I saw the pictures of my son Garrett with this guy holding a, a bow that was about this big. We were protected at night by this guy who was on um, high alert. And that is the kind of picture uh, that God, that Paul, want to give to us. God, as it were and his peace are roaming the perimeter. And as the psalm says in Psalm 27, though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. God's wall will protect us. His grace surrounds us. This prompted someone to say, safety consists not in the absence of danger, but in the presence of God guarding us. And as we have already sung, no matter what comes our way, we know that we belong to God in body and in soul, in life and in death. 
And so Paul is giving us an inner sense of calm and contentment that is supplied by God as it transcends our understanding. It is not irrational, but it is supra-rational. It is greater than our reasoning. And friends, again, to speak of difficult things in the world, I, I was thinking of this imagery this week. And I think one of the things we are reminded is that the garrisons, the protective walls, as it were, of this world do not ultimately keep evil out. We have all been watching with horror how the sophisticated security barriers in Israel were breached. And of course, there are military and political issues with all of that and responses, but there's a deeper lesson that I want to tie into our look at Philippians 4. What is that teaching us? It's teaching us that some trust in chariots and others in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. The things that you and I look to to keep trials at bay will not ultimately come through, but God will. I want to bring you back to that man, Adam Ford, who uh, wrote extensively about his struggle with worry and in, uh, panic attacks, uh, generalized anxiety disorder. But again, this applies to all of us. He had a wonderful reflection after he, he had a lot of things to say about what it feels uh, like going through what he faces. Then he said this at the end of his reflection. While subjective feelings try to do us in, the objective truth of the gospel is what sustains me, is what sustains us, we who struggle with anxiety. He said, it's our life raft. The fact that God chose us before the foundation of the world sent his son to die on a cross taking upon himself the punishment for our sins and granting us eternal life in the perfect bliss with him in heaven. This is what sustains us who worry through many dark times. He went on, this is the anchor of our soul that our status before God is secure because it's not dependent on our turbulent feelings. It's dependent on the finished work of Jesus. And when God looks at us, even when we're being smothered by a wet anxiety blanket, he sees a beloved child, son or daughter, perfectly clothed in the full righteousness of Jesus Christ and therefore fully in the peace of God. And so dear friends, when you're anxious about the conflict in the world, a Christian just this past week said it is so distressing to see what is going on in the news. We are literally hearing talk about potential World War III. When we feel this way, we need to offer our concerns. With believers around the world, offer our concerns to the God who cares and who is sovereign and in control. Closer to home, when you are worried about your kids struggling to fit in at school, when they're not accepted and when they're hurting or they haven't found the, the mate or the partner to marry and, and you worry about them, with thanksgiving, lift them up to the Lord. 
in strenuous petition take hold of the promise of peace. And what is God's peace? My peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, Jesus said. Do not be troubled, do not be afraid. He is with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son, the Prince of Peace, the gift of peace, that he has left his peace with us, that he is with us by your spirit. And I pray for every soul here, wherever anyone is on the continuum of worry, perhaps many here today are feeling fairly carefree, but issues do come up, God that can sometimes make us feel like, yeah, we're calm on the surface, but underneath we're like ducks paddling frantically. And that can make us tired. That can wear us down. And so we pray that we would cast our concerns and our cares upon you because you care. Help us to pray with thanksgiving and with joy because our joy is rooted in your grace. And we have peace with you in Christ. So God, help us to lay hold of that peace. Help us to take hold of your promise. God, we do here together lift up the, the calamity in the world. The, again, the, the rumors of war, the wars. We pray that you would bring the peace of Christ into troubled places and into troubled hearts. And Father, I pray that you would help us to do all of this with, a, again, a spirit of gratitude. We do not want to clip the wings of our prayers, but we want to offer them up to you as you have called us to do so. We thank you that this is all bathed in Jesus Christ, that in those times where we feel smothered by the wet blanket of anxiety, help us to know that we are clothed in the clean robes of Jesus, our peace. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.